Hey guys, uh, JC here. Um, just wanted to chime in here right before the uh, episode kicks off and just say uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, just crossed over 10,000 downloads. I've only been doing this for about a month now, so um, it's pretty awesome to uh, to have uh, so many subscribers already and people actually listening and, and uh, tweeting me and emailing me and kind of um, wanting to you know participate and actually make a community out of this. So props to you. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, please share with your friends, and if you have 30 seconds, please uh, go over to iTunes and leave a review so other people can discover this podcast. Welcome to Huddle Daily. I'm your host, JC Hyatt, and today we have our very first guest on the show. It's the first time I've actually done an interview on the show, um, and with me today is Lawrence Richardson. Lawrence, uh, you want to say hi? Hey, guys. Yeah, um, and you want to give us a, a little bit about who you are and just kind of what you do? Yeah, so I'm with Zero Markets ZFX Token. And we're coming on the show to highlight the ZFX token. A little bit about my background. I've been involved with crypto and Bitcoin and the whole shebang since early 2012. I actually ended up building a miner out of my college dorm room um, and running it in the winter. It kind of acted as a heat sink. So I've been in this space for quite a while. Um, after that, went to a tier one bank, traded FX currency pairs, in their algorithmic department, uh, specifically gold, platinum, palladium, silver, uh, and then started up zero sum in 2015. Cool. And what exactly like led you to see a need for something like zero sum? So back in 2015, uh, it actually started as a non blockchain based platform. This was around the time when DraftKings and FanDuel, if you're familiar with daily fantasy sports was really at the forefront of really advertising. And so if you went to ESPN, every third ad would be a DraftKings or FanDuel uh, daily fantasy ad. And so while I was at our bank, Citibank trading, really we saw the need for retail traders who are essentially disadvantaged in the space, kind of need their own environment. And so we thought instead of having them be beholden to brokerage and high transactional fees to create a competition platform where now they're competing against one another and not the banks and they're not competing against the market as a whole. So you're not Mm -hmm. trading against hedge funds. You're not trading against institutional funds. You're not trading against someone who's paying $10,000 a week for a price data feed. You're just trading against your peers. Uh, And so that's how zero sum was born. And we've gone through a few evolutions since then. Cool. And can you explain exactly what a retail trader is? Yeah. So a retail trader is anyone from $100 in their trading account to maybe even 100000 You would still be classified as a retail trader. And especially in the FX space, retail traders are beholden to the specific brokerage that they are associated with. And all of your positions are with that broker, all of your price feeds are with that broker. And so if you have a position on and you want to trade out of it, you have to trade at the prices that the broker sets you. And that can be good and bad. And a lot of retail traders with a lack of knowledge, just entering the market, uh, succumb to over trading. And it's really the leading cause of around 80% of traders who are just entering the market within their first year end up losing money. 
Um, and so zero-sum was built to alleviate that and provide a different venue and a different market structure for people who are new to trading uh, or are just fed up with the current uh, brokerage model. Cool. So um, what exactly, uh, what's the, you know, someone asks you what you do at a dinner party and you, you say, well, I, I own a company called Zero Sum. What do you tell them you, you do exactly? Like, is it a, uh, a trading platform for like games only or vir anything virtual? Like what, what exactly is it? Yeah, so it's a unique spin on trading. We're trying to identify a trader's innate skill. And how we do that is we create trading competitions. So if you imagine a daily fantasy sports competition, if you were applying it to trading, we'll have a given number of entrants, a given entry fee, a timetable, and then we let the traders compete. And they're not actually touching any markets that they're trading in. So they don't own positions. They don't have um, a claim on any underlying, but what they're doing is they're creating a track record of their performance in the competition. And so now at the end of the competition, I can say objectively, your relative performance was better than 99 of your peers. You're going to win first place because of that. And what this allows us to do is you can have a $10 entry fee, but end up winning thousands of dollars from that and not be subjected to the risks that you would need to use in a real market setting. So you don't have to leverage mm -hmm. yourself a hundred times. You don't have to worry about margin calls. You don't have to worry about waking up and your bank account is drained completely because your position went against you. And so a lot of these factors come together and we create trading competitions. And that's really at the heart of what zero sum is. Yeah. Okay. So, so at the heart of it, it's who is the, who just has the best like trading skill, not necessarily like it, it could be in a number of different types of markets or, or something like that, or a lot of different applications, but it's at the heart of it. It's just like, who's the best trader. Exactly. So okay. we, we give limited parameters and we let the traders compete on a completely level playing field. And it's not you against the market in all its immense knowledge. It's just you against your peers. The other traders. So, okay. Exactly. Cool. Um, so what, what is like a really basic, like, like real example, just so for listeners that kind of want to really solidify this in their minds, like what's a really good example we could use, um, you know, like, uh, is fantasy football one of them or is there something even easier to kind of grasp? So a good way to think about it is, um, we're, since we're talking about crypto, let's use Ethereum and Bitcoin as an okay. example. Let's say you want to participate in trading Bitcoin and Ethereum, but you don't want to own them outright. You kind of want to get your feet wet a little bit. So you'll mm -hmm. enter a competition. There's a hundred other entrants. You pay $10 on our platform and the prize fee or the um, first place reward would be $750. So back and forth for a week, you buy, sell, you have your fictional portfolio. And at the end of that, whoever has the highest return. And let's, let's say the market is complete crap for the entire week. Mm -hmm. Everything's down. No one manages to make money in the trading competition. So now what happens? Whoever lost the least actually performed the best with their peers. And so now you have experience trading in the market. You could only ever lose $10, but since <laughs> you're the best performer, now you actually made 750. And so that's a really great way to kind of detail at an entry level, the structure of our competitions. And the way the platform is designed, if you want more than just the basics, we have everything from limit stops, limit orders, 
market orders. And so, and so your entire trading suite, if you're a more advanced trader, is available to you. We, we've also structured it if you're just an entry-level trader. You don't have much experience. Uh, it's very approachable as well. Cool. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, and I actually think that would be great for a lot of uh, listeners of the show, like people who may just be checking things out and trying to wrap their head around all this, like, you know, to be able to just spend 10 bucks and really understand, you know, get a little bit of trading under their belt without having to risk their, you know, <laughs> their savings. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so with the, so you pay $10 and you might, if you win, you get, you know, 750 or something like that. Have you run into any issues with like, um, like in different States, like gambling laws or anything like that, or is this good to use anywhere? So yeah, this is a global platform and we're actually in a fantastic position because the daily fantasy sports kind of solve that. Is it gambling? Is it not? And okay. so it's come down and clarify that daily fantasy is a skill based competition and specifically, we're even slightly removed from that. Uh, and this is kind of minutia. Feel free to fast forward. But in daily fantasy sports, you're reliant upon other players performing for you. So did Drew Brees throw five touchdown passes? So you're mm-hmm. reliant on Drew Brees. In our platform, you yourself is, are, you. are, the, are the actor. So your actions directly affect the competition that you're in. And so it's, okay. it's, it's purely a game of skill and yeah, it's even more so skill for, for you than it would be for fantasy football. Exactly. It would be akin to trying to argue that, uh, participating in any stock market FX market would be gambling. Okay. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so what are some of your, like, are these um these kind of games? I'm not really sure what to call them exactly, but are these events that you you host on the platform? Are they um, user generated, or is it something that Zero Sum comes up with like daily? So currently, we have just a script that generates daily competitions and mm-hmm. refreshes as we grow. And we've gone through a few iterations now. Um, and once we incorporate blockchain into it as well, which is currently ongoing we're looking to have user generated competitions and actually reward users for generating competitions that fill up quickly. And uh, there's, there's definitely a lot to be done on the platform mm-hmm. but we're, and we're getting started and we've been in development since 2015, gone through a few UI iterations, updated our backend a few times. And so progress is ongoing and we're really excited for new features like that one to be introduced to the platform. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so do you have a, you know, a favorite or two out of what is currently going on on the platform that you like to participate in? So I'm always partial to the shorter duration competitions, but we offer ones from hours to weeks to, we, we tried a, f- a few quarter long competitions, but people mm-hmm. tend to lose interest in those. And so really we wanted to focus on the daily aspect of the competitions. And so if you have a great view and you want to express that view, you can go onto the platform, join a competition, and then you're immediately in the mix. And so uh, that's really what we wanted to offer to our users. Cool. Um, Yeah, I like that. um, Also, you mentioned that you guys have been in development since 2015. And um, we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, where you you started as a um, just a, a web app and and 
centralized, like, you know, that we've kind of covered on this podcast before and that you've now chosen to decentralize things and go with a blockchain. And um, I know some of those reasons or, or maybe maybe all those reasons uh, might be a little bit too in the weeds. But is there are there any kind of, you know, under, you know, easy to grasp reasons why you would uh, want to make that switch over? Uh, I mean, one of the primary ones is payments for the users. It's immediate. You can deposit immediately. You can withdraw immediately. Mm -hmm. It's all traceable. Uh, But really what we're offering is a utility-based token. And so using the platform would require ZFX. And from using ZFX, and this is actually in our white paper as well. um, Mm -hmm. So I highly encourage anyone who's interested to go read further. Um, We're working on building a sentiment engine. And so if you're not familiar with trading, Essentially, what a sentiment engine hopes to accomplish is to provide an alpha signal for the party who is using it. And an alpha signal is anything over expected market returns. And hedge funds will pay millions of dollars for the slightest bit of alpha um, so that they can outperform their peers. And so (laughs) by using our platform, our traders generate trade data. Their positions at any given time gives some amount of information. And one, one way we can utilize the blockchain and actually reward our users for participating on our platform is to collate all that data, combine it into a sentiment engine, sell the sentiment engine off to outside parties who aren't necessarily interested in the competitions themselves, but are interested in the data that the platform generates. Mm -hmm. So now you as a user have multiple ways to earn revenue, either being successful in your trading competitions and mm-hmm. also just providing data and value to the platform itself. And so it's kind of a positive feedback loop and yeah. the more users on the platform, the more positive sentiment they generate, the more valuable that becomes, the more those users benefit from that data. And so that wouldn't have been possible without utilization of a token uh, utility, which is a real big reason why we are also moving to a blockchain based solution. Cool. Yeah. So it, it seems like just as long as someone actively participates on an ongoing basis, like they're going to benefit from it, even if maybe they aren't winning the trading events themselves. Yeah, exactly. And That's cool. we do offer free competitions on the platform. Um, and as we grow further, all of those become uh, bigger. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and I think I actually understood most of that. So <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't, is there anything else that you would like to kind of really hit home with about zero sum? Like I, I know, you know, for listeners who are interested, they can, they can go to your website, read your white paper. Um, are there any other things that you'd like to highlight here on the show? Yeah. So we have two differing, uh, platforms. Zerosummarkets.com is mm-hmm. where you can actually go today, test out the product, it's still being revised and redeveloped as we're ongoing with our current development cycle, but it is up and usable for potential parties. And then ZFX token is really where you get the bread and butter of our token sale offering. You get our white paper, you get information if you want to participate. And so those are two really big information portals for potentially interested parties. Cool. And, and you guys are, um, the ZFX token is launching on Ethereum, correct? Yes, ZFX cool. token is an ERC twenty token. Okay, and yeah, for the listeners who don't know that yet, we haven't actually covered 
um, anything about token sales or ICOs yet, but that is a, in a, a uh, episode very soon. Um, but the gist of it is if you want to participate in a, uh, this ZFX token sale, you can go to their site, read up on their white paper. And if you think it's a, um, something you really uh, want to participate in, you can um, basically trade. Uh, well, I don't know if it's trade is the right word, but you know, you exchange, um, exchange, you exchange ether, ether for, uh, ZFX token and they'll have an exchange rate locked in I'm assuming and uh, you'll get a certain amount of ZFX tokens in exchange for however much ether you uh, contribute to their token sale um, we'll, I will do a, an episode on that uh, most likely um, this week or next week at the latest so I think you guys' uh, token sale is up for the next three weeks is that right? Yep we conclude January 31st Cool. So we should be able to, um, I should have an episode out in time for anyone who is uh, interested in, but isn't, uh, is maybe wants to wait on an episode of like a how-to uh, to participate in that kind of stuff. Uh, I should have an episode up in time for you to still listen to it and then participate if, if you choose to. Um, so yeah, so cool. Um, so I thought that we might be able to talk a little bit about just kind of like Obviously, you have a lot of experience in uh, finance and trading, um, working for you know city and then being in uh, with zero sum and all this. So, um, I have a couple of questions for you, trading wise, and also just like anything that you might want to share with the listeners. Like, I think myself included, that you know we're kind of a community of mostly people who are relatively new to this um, to trading. Uh, I I don't. Um, I've, I've dabbled in like stocks with like Robin hood, <laughs> but that's obviously not like anything very savvy. Um, and I know some of my listeners like actually own significant amounts of, of, um, of shares in different companies in the stock market. But, um, for the listeners like me who, you know, this is all very new, like in terms of just trading and finance and stuff like that, I uh, thought maybe we could go there a little bit too. Yeah. Happy to help. Cool. So I heard you mention a couple of terms uh, a few minutes ago about um, limits, stops, market orders, stuff like that. Um, is 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 that stuff uh, kind of easy uh, enough to explain on a podcast, or is that is that pretty complex stuff? No, it, it's fairly simplistic. So limit orders, market orders, stop losses—all of those are terminology for a particular set of order types. And so, if you want to put an order into the market, and this is regardless of what market you're participating in, whether mm -hmm. it's equities, foreign exchange, cryptos, really anything. If you place a market order, you're going to hit the best available price on the bidder offer. So let's, let's use the example. We want to buy something. We have to cross the spread, which is the difference between the bid and the ask. So mm -hmm. there's an order book for everything. All the orders who are willing to buy from you are orders on the bid. All of the orders for someone who wants to sell to you are orders on the ask. And so mm -hmm. if you want to buy, you're going to hit the best available ask. So that's the market order. It's just you hit the best available rate for the total sum of what you're trying to purchase. So let's say gotcha. you want to buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. You'll hit the ask up until the $1,000 limit. Uh, and Bitcoin is liquid enough that... Uh, it really isn't a problem. It becomes more of an issue if you're using market orders for very illiquid assets. Um, but for the majority of what anyone is going to be using here, 
it really mm -hmm. shouldn't be an issue. So if you want to put in a limit order, it's going to be the best available rate at which you are willing to sell or buy. Okay. So if you want, if you think the price is a little bit too high right now and you think it's going to come down and you want to buy, you can put in a limit buy order lower than the current market. And so as the price recedes, hopefully, Mm -hmm. your order will get filled and then you'll buy at the price that you set rather than buying at the best available rate that someone else has set. Yeah, I've actually uh, done, I mean, I, I don't think I knew the terms, but I've actually been doing this on like um, Bitrix when I'm trading. Um, I'm, I can like, you know, see how many Satoshi something is trading at and, you know, and say, okay, well, I think that's going to come back down and kind of ask, you know, basically bid to buy at a a much lower Satoshi rate, but I didn't know it actually had a term. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, just one more quick one that's fairly important, uh, stop orders. So if you are not planning on holding super long term, mm -hmm. um, but you're worried about your investment receding, going down past the level that you feel comfortable at, mm -hmm. maybe you want to take profits if you feel the market is crashing, you could put a stop order into the order book, essentially saying, okay, if I am long, I have whatever asset we're trading, let's stick with Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. If I see the price go below 10,000, I feel the market is just going to completely collapse. So you'll put in a stop order at 10,000. And if the market does hit that level, it will automatically sell your position for you at the best available rate. So okay. you can get into a situation where people tend to aggregate stop orders unknowingly. So you can get a flash crash or a market run if too many stop orders are in the order book at a given level. And that's kind of where you see um, markets spiking down extremely rapidly. Mm -hmm. But Or up. It works the same way. Gotcha. So that's something that like you almost queue it up, but it's not officially in order until the price of the asset hits a certain, you know, hits a threshold you set. Exactly. It's okay. a way. So let's say you got into Bitcoin at 5,000 mm -hmm. right? and it's currently around 16 now, but you don't want to watch the market 24 hours a day. You're concerned that you want to have some profit, but if you, if, your thought process is if it goes below 10, it's just going to absolutely collapse. And mm -hmm. these are all fictional scenarios. Don't actually um, yeah. <laughs> know what's going to happen. But if that was your thought process, maybe you put a stop order at 10 K, then if the price does reach that level, it will sell for you. And then mm -hmm. you'll be able to um, exit out of your position without having to manually enter the order. Okay. And these stop orders are, um, all of them are aggregated in public though, right? And that's why you can have like a, you know, a big run on the market or a big so crash or something, right? Stop orders are not public. They okay. exist in the exchange and if they trigger, they have an effect on the market and you can see the resulting effects publicly and mm -hmm. how it affects the price in the order book. Order mm -hmm. books are public. Mm -hmm. Stop orders are not public. Okay. Gotcha. So I guess um, if you had like a million people that all thought that Bitcoin would crash, um, if it reached under, you know, $10,000, like there would be, there's still no, like that <laughs> it's, it, it can't be a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, because people can't actually see that data until it starts happening. 
So a, a good logic scenario to think about why stop orders are not public. Mm -hmm. If you have a very large position and you are able to materially affect the market and you know where a bunch of stop orders are, mm -hmm. you can cause those stop orders to trigger and then buy back later buy back. at a, collab a collapsed price. Wow. So the, there's the term stop hunting where people try and identify common stop levels. So really common stop levels are any whole numbers, um, big barriers, previous points of resistance. Uh, and we're starting to get into kind of some technical analysis, but gotcha. the, there are trends uh, that exist across asset classes of mm -hmm. where people tend to put their stops. And so if you're looking at kind of market microstructure, which might be outside of the uh, um, context of this discussion, but there are patterns across markets. And okay. when you start to see um, big runs or bi big collapses um, mm -hmm. centered around uh, those stops. And so while stop orders aren't public, they can be kind of sniffed out. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this is fascinating to me. I think, I guess for the listeners who aren't interested for the for their sake, um, where could people, is, are there good resources that you recommend for people who are more interested in learning um, some of these things about technical analysis, like books or, or websites? So there's almost um, too much information out there <laughs> uh, about where to go learn about technical analysis and um, where to go learn about fundamental analysis. And one of the things that I highly recommend to any new trader out there is start small. Um, leverage is sexy and it's appealing, but it can very easily bite you in the ass. Mm -hmm. Also, technical analysis is very seductive and attractive to new traders. Um, it can it can get into self-fulfilling prophecies very quickly. Um, and crypto is in such a unique spot that mm -hmm. a few people can influence the markets with the current size of some of these markets mm -hmm. and positions. And so it hasn't developed to the point where equities or FX markets have developed. And so I'm hesitant to say if there's any particularly good resource, if you want to learn about crypto technical analysis, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been wondering that. I was like, you know, I see a lot of people on Reddit and they, they're posting their graphs with all these different shapes and stuff. And I'm like, and, and maybe they're, I don't want to, you know, bash those people, but I do, something always in me says, can you really apply the same kind of analysis to this entirely new, uh, you know, asset class and market that, that you do on the stock market? Like, it just seems like, is it the same or is it, it, it seems like it's different and it's very new and how can we really understand it if, if only, it's only been around a few years, you know? So the one thing that I will say that I think is applicable across mm -hmm. asset classes, um, think about what the common denominator is. It's people. People are trading these things and algos too to a massive extent. But right now, for now, we're going to talk about people. Mm-hmm. Market psychology and behavioral psychology is extremely important. Um, and if you look, and this is kind of going back on the, the, the stop loss aspect, if you read up on markets and behavioral psychology, I think you start to see a lot of recurring trends and that becomes much more valuable than identifying a bullish flag pattern. Because in my mind, and 
resources out there, um, you start to see people are very good at identifying patterns, even when no patterns exist. We're, our minds are hardwired to find patterns. And so with technical analysis, you can sometimes get too deep into the weeds and miss the overall big picture. If you understand why people are making those decisions, and this comes from uh, behavioral psychology, mm-hmm. then you start to get uh, ideas that can transcend asset classes. Like the same patterns emerge in equities, the same boom and bust patterns emerge in FX, the same boom and bust patterns occur in crypto markets. And so I, I think if you're a new trader, I would definitely check out even basics of behavioral psychology and trading. Okay. Um, that would be my recommendation. Obviously, there, there's unique components to everyone's trading style. And mm-hmm. one thing that I do is not going to work for someone else. And what someone else does isn't going to work for me. Uh, and learning your limits and patience levels are, are really big in trading. And understanding how you trade as an individual is almost more important than any system that you trade. And what better way to do that than pay 10 bucks and and get on zero sum and, and test it out for a while. <laughs> yeah, that is, zero sum's great for that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, cool, so I have, I actually I have just one more question that's kind of been burning in my mind and I think it's actually been burning in a lot of other listeners' minds too um, that, uh, that you may have some insight on. So this is kind of going back to, you know, comparing markets, uh, comparing crypto with stocks um, and, uh, and, you know, when we look at, um, you know, the total supply of some of these crypto, um, there's there's some way that people have been able to say, well, that supply is, you know, you know, Ripple supply, for instance, is a hundred billion, and so it can only be, you know, no more than this much. And I was wondering, how exactly, like, do people come to that? Uh, like obviously there's some kind of like thought process or math or something that they do to come to that kind of conclusion. Um, and then the, the second part of the question is kind of similar to, you know, the, the, uh, the previous question I had was, uh, can you really apply that kind of same thought process to this new asset class? You know, because who knows what they're tackling, you know, like they might be tackling, um, you know, Ripple, for instance, uh, which this is completely speculation. I don't think this, uh, there, I have no reason to think this is actually going to happen. But if, if, if Ripple took on the, uh, uh, or Stellar or any of these other, you know, ones that have huge um, uh, supplies, if they were to become the, uh, the I guess, the asset or the, the uh, network for companies like Visa and MasterCard that are processing quadrillions of transactions, doesn't that kind of make that whole like analysis breakdown? I know that those, those are two big questions kind of, but they're, they're so related. I wanted to ask them at the same time and the did that make sense? Cause that was a lot of words. Yeah. It sounds like you're trying to address the concept of market capitalization, which is essentially shares outstanding uh, times current market price. So if you're looking at the price of Bitcoin and how many Bitcoin are in existence, you kind of get Bitcoin's market cap and market cap is a concept that comes over from equities. And while it does have kind of some proxy into the crypto markets, I don't think you can necessarily use market cap as the end all be all of where or future potential of a specific coin or token or whatever we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Here is a really good example. Um, 
if we're talking about speculation and kind of heightened exuberance, the J Japanese asset bubble, at one point in time, the Japanese palace was worth more than the entire real estate combined in California, <laughs> which obviously isn't the case, but it kind of gets into, okay, the price associated with something versus what someone would actually pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking at the total addressable supply, in a lot of these coins, 80% of them, 90% of them aren't being traded at any given time, which means their circulating volume isn't available to the market and available to new market entrants. And so you can get super crazy high market capitalization of a price paid at the last given trade times total outstanding when obviously the coin isn't going to be worth that um, if everyone tried to sell. And mm -hmm. so... That kind of addresses a little bit of the market cap point and how we can get to such extreme valuations. And but at the same time, you it's not really a good proxy because if we're looking at what the coins and tokens are attempting to solve, it's kind of asking, okay, well, what's the value of the internet? There's no real good answer for what the value of the internet is. Mm -hmm. And if you look in take an example from the FX space, re daily retail effects processes around or the total total FX market process around $4.2 trillion of notional each day that is traded. So a lot of that is leveraged and a lot of that isn't actually $4.2 trillion of value that's traded, but what it is is leveraged value. And then if we start talking about derivative markets, it starts to get to a point where if we're looking at transactional volume, that's very different than, uh, the concept of a market cap. So okay. it, it's, it's hard to say um, okay. wh where these things will go. And if we look at global adoption of cryptocurrencies, it's still under 1% of the world's population. Yeah. Um, so it, it, adoption is increasing. Limited supply constrains people who want to come in and participate. So you get huge bullish runs. Um, there's a lot of pump and dump schemes out there, unfortunately. And so we kind of are brought back to penny stocks of the early 2000s. And so looking at all these factors combined, it's extremely difficult to find or attempt to value what a true valuation of a coin is. Is it mm -hmm. the total addressable market? Is it the total combined assets of all the companies in that market? Is it a combination of the two? Um, so I, I think while yes, we're going to see massive growth within 2018, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see massive growth within certainly the whole space, but certain projects are going to start to separate themselves. Mm -hmm. But Yeah, and I think to kind of sum up that for the listeners, like what I, it might be what, I've, what I was kind of thinking already is this is, you know, people post these things, these, these analysis and, and, and on Reddit or and things like that and say, you know, they say it with such certainty that, you know, well, this coin will never be more than, than this amount of dollars because the mattress doesn't work and stuff. And I, I just think that, you know, maybe they're right, but like, it just seems kind of, in a sense, it seems a little foolish to, um, with something so new to really know what, what the potential of any of these coins is. Um, I, I've been fairly active on a lot of the crypto subreddits and read a lot of posts and 80 to 90% of them coming from my background that I'm reading mm -hmm. through just doing napkin calculations back to the napkin. They're going to write down a few numbers. 
and say, oh, okay, we can achieve a hundred billion dollar market cap if X, X and Y happen mm -hmm. uh, within two years, which is completely ridiculous for 95% of these. But at the same time, there's a lot of hype that surrounds these. And so while yes, it'll probably never happen, even if they get to 10 or a fractional percentage of whatever magical number that they're trying to show that their particular token or coin is worth, mm -hmm. you draw interest from outside parties who weren't otherwise interested, which uh, kind of feeds on itself. And so yeah. it's a lot of what happens in bubbles, um, but it's hard to call this particular point in time the height of the bubble. Um, yeah. People have been calling Bitcoin a bubble since 2013. So it's... <laughs> it, it's um, definitely a new territory that we're entering, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, honestly, I think we're in like inning three of the ball game. So, hmm. you think we're that that far along already? It's been in existence since two thousand nine, so uh, maybe not. Maybe inning two, definitely not inning one. Gotcha. So, um, oh, you said inning. Sorry, uh, for some reason my mind went to uh, bases, and I was like. Oh. <laughs> Third base already? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I think the bottom line is that, you know, for, for listeners is, you know, research coins and, and, and projects and see what you think is actually going to find a good fit in the market and put your money in that, you know, like that's, um, and who knows how, how high they're going to go. But if you pick good projects, you're still going to get, you know, you're still going to see returns and, um, and hopefully, I mean, I, I, I hate only talking about crypto in an investment sense because I would love for it to actually be used. You know, we, we get to a point where we're actually, um, it, you know, it's widespread and, and being widely used. But um, and, and honestly, I don't think we're that far off from it. I just don't know if it's going to look exactly like it, like I would hope it would look. I, I'm thinking we might see more centralized coins at first. That, that that get widespread adoption i mean it, it's super hard to say the internet was initially created by darpa and now we have crypto kitties on it so i mean <laughs> no, no one uh no one gets different <laughs> sure where things go uh and the easiest way to be wrong about the future is to try and predict it so <laughs> cool well um i think uh, that'll kind of wrap things up for us today i uh, do you have any shameless plugs? I know obviously we want to put a link to zero sum markets and zfxtoken.com. Um, anything else that you would like to, to plug or um, any other resources where listeners can learn more or anything like that? Yeah, I highly encourage everyone to join us at zfxtoken.com. Uh, we have a link up to our Discord as well as more information about our ongoing token sale. If you're interested in learning more, chatting with us, chatting about trading, um, feel free to come and join our Discord fairly active community there so yeah for the listeners um discord is a uh, a chat app essentially for communities and so they have a zfx community on the app that you, you can create a discord account and and chat back and forth with people you know in the project and also people who are participating in ico and things like that so i haven't actually mentioned discord before and so oh, okay. no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um cool so yeah i'll add that to the show notes um well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, where, where can listeners find you online? Are you on Twitter or? Uh, yeah, we're on Twitter, Bitcoin Talk, Discord, Medium, a uh, ton of great resource articles in the media. Um, yeah, zfxtoken.com, zero sum for the platform. Cool. Really the best places to start. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'll put all these links in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, it's been a pleasure. It's awesome to actually conduct my first interview on the show. So congrats for being number one. I'm so, oh, I hope it wasn't it. too bad. No, um, I'm happy to be here. And uh, hopefully we can talk again. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks. Thanks.